Now we're going to read from God's Word, and I'm going to read from Ephesians 6, verses 17 through 24. Ephesians 6, verses 17 through 24. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints and for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak, but that you may know my affairs and how I am doing, Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make all things known to you, whom I have sent to you for this very purpose, that you may know our affairs and that he may comfort your hearts. Peace to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Today there is a fair amount of talk about about identity. People asking questions about themselves. Who am I? Why am I here? And, And what should I be doing and, and what is it that really gives me any value? There was, a, there was a time in my life when I made being a good student my identity. I wanted to, I wanted to get great grades. I wanted to get great scores. I wanted to get into great schools. And I wanted to be known as a good student. And, and that was because, for me, it felt like it gained a level of respect from people, if I was a good student, it would it would open certain doors, and it seemed to offer a, a kind of security for the future. If I would do the work to be a good student, I could expect to get a good career and good pay, and expect to enjoy the good life. And it was the main way that I saw myself. It was the main way that I wanted to be seen, an, an academic success. Later in life, other things offered. Identity. Instead of being a good student, the identity that was offered to me was to be a father, or to be known as being a father, a father of, of many children, or, or maybe now, it, the, the potential of having an identity of being a pastor, wrapped up, my identity wrapped up in my, my occupation. Now, don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with being a good student. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with having a family, and there's nothing wrong with being devoted to the church. But when that, when something like that becomes your identity, the thing that defines you, the thing that makes you feel like you have worth, when it's the thing that steers every key decision in your life, it's just not going to work. You need an identity that can bear the full weight of human existence. None of those things can do that. Some people will build their identity based on their 
gender. Some people will build their identity based on their sexuality or on their ethnicity. Now, all those things are a strong part, a strong part of your humanity, but none of them are strong enough to give you, to be your ultimate identity. Take, take my identity as, as a good student. What will happen? What did happen when I didn't score high enough to get into the, the top choice of, of my schools? What, would, what happens when I did the work, but it's not enough still to get the A or to get the recognition or to get the admission? What happens if I get the results, but nobody notices? If that's my identity, then that will break me. If that's my identity, that will demolish me. It will shake my sense of myself. And at least inside, my life will fall apart because my identity can't handle that loss. You need an identity that is strong enough to bear life, strong enough to handle the setbacks in life, strong enough to handle the successes in your life, strong enough so that failure doesn't crush you, strong enough so that success will not corrupt you, so that if you succeed, your head won't swell and you become fat-headed. As we finish our time in this epistle to the Ephesians, we see here in these closing verses, we see the strong identity that we need. And here's what we see. You need, you need an outward, inward, and upward identity. You need an, an outward, an inward, and an upward identity. This is an identity that will engage well with the, the wider world. This is an identity that will engage well with your local human community. And this is an identity that has to deal well with yourself and God. So it's comprehensive. It has to be comprehensive like that. Let's look at each of these. First of all, you, you need an outward identity. It's got to engage with, with the wider world in which we all live. And, and you see this outward identity here, verses 19 through 20. The outward identity, it's, it's, first of all, it's an identity of witness. Part of this, this outward identity is you are a witness. You are engaging with the wider world as a witness. And as we saw last week, Paul is fully living in that part of his identity. He says, Pray for me. Pray that I would be a faithful witness in my court appearance. And Paul is writing this from prison. He's awaiting trial for charges of, of publicly inciting disturbance in the temple and, and inciting disturbances in the Judaism of that, of that society. And that's in Acts 24 and Acts 25. But we see that Paul's bigger concern is not his coming trial. It's not his coming legal uh, hearing. Because Paul's greater identity is this identity as a witness. And so in this Roman trial that's coming up, in that trial, at the earthly level, Paul is going to be a defendant. He's on trial. He's the defendant. But in Paul's greater identity, he's not the defendant. He's a witness. He's a witness. And what is he a witness to? Well, Paul has seen things. Paul has seen things, and Paul has met people. Paul has met someone. And so Paul has got to give testimony. He's got this burden to give testimony about the man that he met. Verse 19, Paul says, pray that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Paul has been, Paul ends up waiting years. Paul ends up waiting years for his court hearing to finally 
come to trial. And how frustrating would that be? Stuck behind bars for years while the politics of the court, while the docket of the court just drags on and on. But Paul's life and Paul's meaning is is much bigger than his legal landscape. It's bigger than that. He wants to have a chance to speak about this mystery of the gospel. He wants this chance to tell the news about the coming, the coming of a king who is Christ. And because Paul has met Jesus, because Jesus Christ knocked Paul down and rearranged his life, Paul is captivated, not by the Romans, he is utterly captivated by the person and the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And so now Paul's living to advertise it. Paul's, Paul's living. His whole life is about inviting people into this. And so if you are a Christian, if you're a Christian, this has got to be part of your identity, the, the outward aspect of your identity. You bear witness for your king. Now, there are plenty of things that people pressure you to bear witness about. People these days get very fired up about American politics. I've even heard that people in other countries, not America, people in other countries get just as fired up about American politics as Americans get fired up about it. I've got relatives who are not Americans. Some of them have never even been to America. They don't live in America, and they follow American politics like a soap opera. It's all they want to talk about. They have very strong feelings about it. And here in America, here in America, plenty of people want to declare that they're red. Plenty of people want to declare that they're blue. If you are a Christian, declare this, that you are Christ's that you are not your own and that you were bought with the Christ. That's your surpassing identity. It has to be your surpassing identity. And, and with many of the people in the constellation of your human life, you may have only one chance ever to speak. You may have only one thing that you ever say to this person or to that person. How are you going to use that single statement? You've got one shot. How are you going to use it? Are you going to use it to push a presidential candidate? Are you going to use it to push some political party? Or are you going to use it to promote not a president, but a king? Not a party, but the person who radicalized you. The person around whom your whole life revolves. Is that how you're going to use it? Our love moves our mouths. What you love will move your mouth. Now imagine, imagine if you had met me. And, and, and you lived around me for five years, for ten years, maybe as a neighbor or, or you worked in the office with me. You've known me that long. And all you've ever heard me talk about is football or cooking or the shows that people watch. And then, you know, five years into our relationship, ten years into our relationship, you discover that I have kids, you would be surprised if after all those years, we've known each other for these 10 years, I had no idea you were even married, and I had no idea that you had kids all along. But if I were always talking about my wife, if I were always talking about how the other day I was laughing and laughing about how my kids had pranked each other, what would you think if I was that kind of person in my speech? You would think, that guy is totally wrapped up with his wife. That guy really enjoys his kids. Our love moves our mouths. You talk about what you love. You talk about whom you love. 
A Christian is a person who follows Jesus. A Christian is a person who loves Jesus and can't help but talk about him. And that's part of your identity as a Christian. You're a witness to the person and the works of your Jesus. Now, this outward identity, it's not only witness. This outward identity, uh, another part of the outward identity is this. You're, you're an ambassador, an ambassador. Verse 19, Paul says, I am an ambassador in chains. And so, you kids, what, what is an, an ambassador? What, what does an ambassador do? An ambassador is a person who's sent from one country to represent his or her country to another country. An ambassador goes from one country to talk to another country. The ambassador from, from Taiwan may come to America and say, will you help our country? Or the ambassador from America may go to Colombia and ask, how, how can we work better together? Paul says, I am an ambassador. I'm an ambassador. I come representing another kingdom, the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And I'm coming as an ambassador with an invitation, an invitation from the king. Here, would you hear the generous terms that our king is offering? Would you read the treaty and the covenant of our king, our Christ? So in, in this identity, as a Christian, look at how this would orient your, your identity to the wider world. It means this, to the wider world, you are an envoy, not an enemy. You're an envoy to other people, not an enemy. Now, this is significant because this passage, it immediately follows the passage about spiritual warfare. The Christian is part of a war. There's a spiritual war. There's a war that has real enemies, but the enemies are the devil, the devil and his fallen angels. Satan is your adversary if you're a Christian. Toward the devil, you are at war, but towards people, you're an ambassador. And, and if that's true, shouldn't that shift the conversation? Shouldn't that adjust your attitude and, and the tone and the outlook you have? Because our struggle is not with flesh and blood. Red is not the enemy. Blue is not the enemy. And people say, you, you're just being so naive. Don't you realize that they have it out for you and they're going to eventually round you up and you'll be in a concentration camp? Or don't you realize that if they get into power, they're going to lock up all your rights and make life miserable and take away your freedoms? Don't you think Paul knew that? Where was he when he wrote this? He was deprived of his civil liberties. He was in prison. But to them... The people, the Romans, the government, they weren't his enemies. Paul, to them, was not an enemy. He was an envoy. He was an ambassador. And that's, that's true today. That's true today, not just on this political level and however you interact with people who are in different party preferences. That's true about the tricky people who are in your life, the tricky people that you have to live with, the rough people in your life, the angry people in your life. You will not be their enemy if you're a Christian. 2 Corinthians 5, 20. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That's, that's to be your identity toward the wider world. How do you feel about the unbelievers in your life? How, how, how do you feel towards the toxic people 
in your life? Do you feel animosity towards them? Do you feel burning rage against them? You know this, you know this story. You've probably lived this. You've seen it play out. There's someone in your life, someone in your life who is furious at you. They're raging. Maybe it's on the road and they're the person who flips you off. Maybe they're raging and, and it's, they're under the influence. They're posting about you. They're posting while they're high. They're posting while they're drinking. And deep in their wrath against you, they post something about you. They vent online about you. Or maybe in the staff meeting, they disrespect you in front of everyone. They post and spread a story over the email attacking you. And everyone can see it. Everyone can read it. It's an attack. And it really hurts. Have you ever had anything like that done to you? Have you seen that play out in front of you? You know this story. Well, how should you respond? How should you respond if you are a Christian? I'm pleading with you. This is your, this is your outlook, your approach to them. I'm pleading with you. Be reconciled to God. You're not their enemy. You're an ambassador in chains. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18. Now, all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So, yeah, someone's attacking you. Someone's speaking wrongly about you and to you. You might need to speak out. You might need to call them out. But in your heart, as the psalm says, this is your attitude. I am for peace, but they are for war. And, and your longing is this towards them. Would you be with that you would be reconciled to God? And that's why Christians of all people, that's why we're willing to forgive those who sin against us. Seven times, 70 times seven. We do not link forgiveness for the other person. We don't link our forgiveness to our trust of the other person. We freely Forgive as we have been freely forgiven. Even if trust for that person may take months or even years to rebuild. It's, it's why we pursue racial reconciliation and racial justice. We can do both. We should do both. It's why if you lean red, it's why if you lean blue, you don't hate blue if you're red. You don't hate red if you're blue. It's why you know, as a Christian, you must love your enemies and you must bless those who curse you. Now, can I ask you a question? Do you, do you have enemies? Do you have a person that you treat as an enemy, even in your heart, or a person who you refuse to sit with? Someone who you would, like to see, you would like to see them squirm and burn. Friend, you need to work that out. You need to work that out. And I have to ask for all that are listening to this, are you reconciled to God? Now, plenty of people say, yeah, I'm good with God. I'm asking you, are you reconciled to God on his terms, according to the terms of his covenant?
Is it on your own terms? If it's on your own terms, that doesn't count because it doesn't reflect reality. I'm asking, are you reconciled to God on his terms? Where Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by him. And not only is Jesus the Savior and the only Savior of the world, is Jesus also Lord. Lord, and, and he has authority over you, and you are submitting yourself to him. So, so we have, uh, as believers, this outward identity. As witnesses, uh, more than witnesses, as ambassadors. You need this outward identity, but you also need this inward identity. And here we're talking about church. This inward identity, it, it, it could be summed up this way. In verses 21 and 22, it's, it's all about mutual welfare within the believing community. And Paul sends, sends, you see this in verses 21 and 22, he's sending this letter to the Ephesians. He's sending it by a personal courier. And that's because they didn't have a post office for regular letters. The, a trusted person had to deliver personal letters. And so there's this man, this, this brother, this trusted servant, Tychicus, and he's the one bearing this letter. But he's not only bringing just a document. Tychicus, from other writings, he is part of Paul's ministry team. He, he's like Timothy. He's like Titus. Tychicus was gifted in, in helping church communities form and helping them flourish. Now, this, this speaks to a second part of our human full identity that we need. Humanity requires community. Humanity requires community. You need a community. You need a caring community around you, a community of humans who care for you, who care about you. And you need a community of humans for whom you can care. You need to be in a congregation. Verse 21, Paul sends Tychicus so that you also may know my affairs. That's Paul speaking. I'm sending him to you so that you can know what's going on with me and how I am doing. The great apostle Paul, who's, who's, who's considered to be one of the great minds of the Western world, and it's been, he's, been, he's had an influence for thousands of years. Paul, that man, needed a human community who cared about him. And Paul made the effort to reveal his personal welfare to them. And it was two ways. It was both directions. Paul needed their care, and Paul cared for them. The care flowed in both directions. Verse 22, I send Tychicus that he may comfort your hearts. We, we saw earlier that this was part of what the Ephesians needed. Ephesians 3, 13. The Ephesians were worried. The Ephesians were discouraged. Paul sends the man so that personally they can be encouraged. Now, this is very important for us today in this time because we live in a time with high loneliness. We live in a time where there is high degree, there's a high degree of alienation. People are disconnected from the wider human community. People don't have true friends, good friends. People don't even know how to do that. People don't know how to be a good friend to one another. And, and you've got this experience that's just playing out now. You've got 8 billion people on the planet and we feel all alone and we feel unknown. Do, do you know anything about the, the life of, of Elvis Presley? Well, everybody 
while he was alive, everybody knew his pictures. They were all over. Everyone knew his voice. Everyone knew his music. Millions, millions adored the image of this man. And when he went out, people just worked themselves up into a frenzy to see him. They were crazy about him everywhere he went. And when he was in private, when he was in private, he constantly surrounded himself with people. He couldn't bear to be alone. And so even when he was in his giant mansion, famous and rich, he often just wanted to stay in his room and just have a friend be there with him to talk to him. He seemed to be desperate to have someone's physical presence with him. Elvis was lonely tonight. Human beings need other people, other humans. We need, we need to know other people and we need to be known by people. And that requires presence. That requires physical presence with other people. Look at how it plays out in this letter. Paul writes to them. He opens his heart, but it's still just a letter. It's still just a text. He's got to send a person. And because he's locked up, he can't go. He sends a person. He sends Tychicus. A written letter is not enough. Verse 21, it requires the in-person contact for them to really be encouraged, to really know how he is and what he's doing and how he's doing. Verse 20, 22, it also requires face-to-face for them to be able to encourage the other person's heart. The letter's not enough. The text isn't enough. It's good, but it's still not enough. I run into people all the time who tell me that they are Christians, but they have absolutely no connection and no commitment with the church, with the community of Christ followers. They might be reading articles online, they might listen to recordings here and there, but that's not the same as a connection and a commitment to a community. That's just learning about a community. That's just watching a community from afar. If you are not in a two-way community, how can you encourage a lonely person in the community? And how can someone in that community encourage you when you're down? And how can someone in the community challenge you when you're going off the rails? If you don't have a two-way, a continuing connection to the church community, you can't receive care and you can't give care. Presence creates relationship. Presence encourages the discouraged. Now I'm saying this, I'm saying this to all of us here. I'm saying this also to the people that we're joined with over Zoom. I, I want you people who are on Zoom to know I'm not, I'm not condemning you. I'm not talking about you. With, with Zoom, plenty of you on Zoom are making this two-way. You're engaging with one another. You're staying connected both during and after the meetings, outside of the meetings. I, I, I'm not talking to our brothers and sisters who are connected over Zoom and throughout the week. They're staying, maintaining connection. I'm talking about this general absence of commitment and connection to a church congregation. From the beginning, God teaches us that life in isolation is bad for your health. It is not good for man that he should be alone. And the doctrine of the Trinity proves this. The eternal God, three persons, distinct, but interacting and united together in one Godhead for all eternity, past and all eternity to come. And we who are made in his image, we should expect that we need community to be whole, a fellowship of the saints. Are you scared to be known? 
Are you scared to be known? Have you been burned in previous relationships or in a prior church? Some people respond by just, they just say, you know, I'm done with people. Too much hassle, too much pain. I've got a dog. I've got a cat. I've got a bird. A dog is not a substitute. A cat is not a substitute. You can love a pet. And maybe a pet can love you, but they don't have, and they will never have the capacity to know the depths of your sorrows or the pinnacles of your joy. They can't speak to you. They can't, they can't speak to you about your pride. They can't challenge you in your selfishness. And they, can't, they cannot untangle the thorny problems of your upbringing. They can't. You need an outward identity, You need this inward-facing identity. You also need an upward identity. And with this, we'll close. This is the final part of this full identity, this full identity, the upwards. It deals with you and God. It deals with you, the individual, and God. You're a person who walks with God if you have this identity. This upward part of the identity, it places you in a lifetime relationship with God. He responds to you. You're responding to him. You're traveling the path of life together. He walks with you. And he has the the ability to interrupt you, to divert you, to slow you down, or to to urge you on. Look at the, the way that it's described here, this deep, personal connection. Verses 23 and 24. He says, peace, peace to the brothers and sisters, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You see the import of that one word, from. Peace to you, brothers and sisters, and love from God the Father. It's saying peace to you. Peace to all you brothers and sisters, all you men and women in Christ's communities. Peace from God the Father. Look what this, look at what this tells you about your identity. It says you have a father. You have a father. God the father. That makes you a son. That makes you a daughter. That's part of your identity. What kind of father do you have? What kind of father do you have? You've got a peaceful father. You've got a peace-giving father. Let me ask this at a personal level. What, what kind of earthly father what kind of earthly father did you have? Maybe you had a distant father. Maybe you had a father who was severe, a father who was quick to criticize, a, a father who was always lecturing you. Maybe you had an angry father, and maybe your home was full of, of tension and full of turmoil. This father, this heavenly father, who's part of your identity now. This father is not an anxious presence. This father is not an angry presence. If you're a Christian, you have a father of peace, a father who is at peace with you, a father who gives you peace, gives you peace when you're afraid, when you're worried, when your mind is racing and it's just a storm going on in your head. You have a father who will give peace and send peace into your heart. But not only peace, verse 23, he'll send love. It says, verse 23, love from 
God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And this tells you even more about your identity as a believer. You are a person who is made both to receive love and to have a Lord. You're a person both made to receive love and to need a Lord. Have you considered that part of being a human, part of being truly human, is the need to be loved? We know that we need things like food. We know we need water. We know that we need sleep. We know that we need to live in a safe environment, not too hot, not too cold. But the inner person, the inner you, your soul, you need to matter to someone else. You need to matter to someone else. We need to know that there is someone who delights in us. There's someone, we need to know that there's someone who likes you, someone who cares about you. We're social beings. God is social. We are social. And this tells you here that you have a father who loves you. Did you have a good father? Did you have a father who was really good? Well, this is a father who loves you even better than that father. Did you have a terrible father? This might be difficult for you to imagine if you had a terrible father, but this is a father who is secure in himself so that he doesn't suffocate you with his neediness. This heavenly father doesn't need to live out his dreams through you. This is a father who loves you and who draws you into his secure love. He's not going to tyrannize you. He's not going to terrorize you. And not only do you have this father and, and this love, you've also got a Lord. Christ, it says, is the Lord. The Lord. A Lord is someone who can direct you. Someone who can even cross your will because they're the Lord. Now, all of us need this. All of us need someone to be in charge of our lives. But in this day and age, in this day and age, all of us are very suspicious of authority. All of us are worried that the person in power will abuse the power because we see that play out over and over. Jesus Christ is the Lord, but he's the Lord of peace and he's the Lord of love. He will never exploit you. He will never discard you. He will never manipulate you because he is utterly trustworthy. He lived for you. He died for you. He was willingly misunderstood for you. People spread lies about you. People may talk trash about you. Jesus took all the trash and took the biggest lie on himself. He was blamed for your sin. He was blamed for my sin. And he agreed to that. He agreed to be punished for us on the cross. And that means he's committed to our future. And that means he's dealt with your past. And that means you can trust him. He would never mistreat you because he was mistreated for you. Now some of you here, some of you, here you need peace today. Oh, how you need peace. You grew up in a family system of turmoil, not peace, and you are still trying to sort it all out. Some of you here need love. Maybe you grew up in a societal system that used you. Maybe you're in a relationship even now where there's anything but love. You feel it in the, in the, in the, the disdainful silence. You feel it when... You're with a person, but they're not with you. They're in their phone. They don't notice you. They don't hear you. This is, that's not how Jesus is. I had a friend. I'll, I'll call my friend Mac. Mac grew up in a terribly dysfunctional and abusive 
home. Mac's father was severe. Mac's dad would strike Mac so hard that Mac couldn't breathe. And so Mac learned to run. Mac became highly skilled at running. Mac can remember the day came when Mac could run so fast Mac could outrun his father. And he could remember running fast enough that he was two steps in front of his father and could hear his father's breath behind him. And Mac pulled away. Mac ran further. Mac ran away from home. And later, Mac realized that he had huge, huge trust issues. Mac couldn't trust people. Mac couldn't trust authority. And Mac would run from relationships at the first sign of danger. Mac was highly suspicious of authority. Late in life, Mac became a Christian. How did that happen? Largely happened through the love of, of many Christians in a community, in a congregation. They welcomed Mac. They bore with Mac breaking out. And over time, Mac sensed that he was loved. And Mac believed. He came to believe in Christ. Now, Mac still had trust issues, but Mac knew that he had people who loved him in that community. One of them, we'll call him Pete, especially loved Mac. And Mac even remarked on it out loud. And Pete said, Mac, one day, one day I will let you down, but Jesus will never let you down. And that is true. Jesus may say things, many things that you don't understand. Jesus may call you to let go of things in your life that you think you have to have. But Jesus will give you grace and peace because he loves you. He's that kind of Lord. And when you have that kind of Lord who loves you with that kind of love, it changes you. It changes how you relate to other people. You're no longer demanding. You're no longer desperate for people to love you. Because when you have this love, you have a peace, a deep peace with God that's underneath whatever crazy is going on in your life. So who are you? Who are you, believer? If you're a Christian, you're someone who is loved by your Lord. Believer, he loves you. You sincerely love him, don't you? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are real and that you have demonstrated that you're real and you've demonstrated your love. And so we pray, Lord, that your love again, would, we would sense the strength of it and that it would fill us and that it would abound towards us and that you, by your spirit, would, would convince us of the depth and the height and the breadth and the length of the love of God in Christ towards us. We thank you, we acknowledge you, and we will follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.